On today's show, a very busy Sunday for the Atlanta Hawks. Introducing a new head coach, Quinn Snyder is now officially the coach of the Hawks for the next four-plus seasons. And beyond that, the Hawks also won a game at the buzzer at State Farm Arena on Sunday afternoon. We'll talk about Quinn Snyder's arrival, everything in the game, and much more coming up. You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1420 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Sunday evening, February 26th. And today's podcast is brought to you by PrizePix. First time users have a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with promo code locked on. That is prizepix.com, promo code locked on. And I also want to encourage you, as always, to make us your first listen each and every day. Check us out anywhere you get your podcasts. That includes Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and also over on the video side on YouTube. And today, is a very busy day for the Atlanta Hawks. The Hawks got a win this afternoon. We'll talk about that in a moment with Trey Young having a walk-off victory at the buzzer. A roller coaster game, a lot of ups and downs. And now with that win, the Hawks were 31 and 30 on the season. They were up by as many as 18 points. It was back and forth, back and forth. But then Trey Young did Trey Young things. We'll talk about that in a moment. But candidly, I started recording a podcast about the game earlier today and had to stop about 10 minutes into the podcast because we got official word of something that I have to leave with now, and that is that Quinn Snyder is going to be the head coach of the Atlanta Hawks moving forward. This is not a surprise at all. Five days ago, as I record this, on the 26th, the Hawks moved on from David Mellon. That was not a huge surprise. The timing was a little bit surprising, but certainly the move was not. But within a week, the Hawks moved quickly. That has been out there for a while. In fact, I talked about this a lot on the show on Friday evening into Sunday. There was a widespread assumption by Friday that the Hawks were going to hire Quinn Snyder. It was not done. And until something's done, I have learned to never appreciate it. Basically, I never throw out there that it was actually done. But it seemed like it seemed to be pretty inevitable at that point in time. And then tonight, at about 7 Eastern time, Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN broke the news. And then within about 30, 40 minutes from there, the team announced the decision to hire Quinn Snyder as the head coach. And I will read to you a couple quotes now from the release from Landry Fields and Quinn Snyder. First, Landry said that it was clear that Quinn had all the characteristics that the Hawks were looking for in their head coach. He referenced an incredible basketball and emotional IQ and, quote, the same core values and basketball philosophies that have honest communication and collaboration with players, tremendous attention to detail, and placing a great emphasis on player development, end quote. Snyder, for his also uh, introduction, um, said that he is thrilled to be back in Atlanta. Of course, he was an assistant under the under the, under Mike Budenholzer, I should say, with the Hawks back in 2014. He talks about Landry Fields having a reputation as tremendous and also is a high-character, high-quality individual, and said that they, the relationship basically was burgeoning from there. And he said that he's, quote, excited to collaborate with Landry to create a successful program that devoted Hawks fans are proud of and to cheer for and i'm grateful to tony jamie and the entire wrestler family for this opportunity end quote end quote so obviously again no surprise here but certainly big news great news um cliff's notes version here before i come back to this later on i like this hire quite a bit as i said last week if you're newest to the show you would have missed this but I thought that Snyder was the guy that I would have made say no a week ago. He would have been number one on my list, very clearly, of guys who were realistically available to the Hawks, being that he was out of uh, out of the league right now. They could talk to him freely. That was probably a pretty big part of getting him on board this quickly. But Snyder, I believe, is a top 10 head coach in the league. He's a very quality hire. He has ties to the organization. He has really a good reputation for working with players, also on the offensive end of the floor, being innovative and also molding his schemes to personnel, which is a huge part of what the Hawks need on this roster. 
And uh, as, far as, as far as the details are concerned, a little bit early, obviously, a starter's going to be introduced to the media on, two, on Monday afternoon, I should say. And we'll probably get some more details then about some of the backstory stuff. But it, it'll be a five-year deal, according to Adrian Wojciechowski's reporting, and I believe we confirmed that behind the scenes. One of those five years includes the rest of this season. So it's basically a four-year deal plus the rest of this year. And he could begin coaching, this is according to Woj, as soon as Tuesday against Washington. I have asked the Hawks about that. Um, logistically, they don't really know yet. I'm sure we might learn that on Monday afternoon. The Hawks do practice on Monday morning. I assume Snyder will be at least around for that practice. And then we'll have a shoot around on Tuesday. But then they play again Tuesday, on Tuesday night against the Wizards. It'll be a very quick turnaround through that lens. Again, I recommend listening to the podcast I did on Friday night, which had about 15 minutes of Snyder talk. I will not repeat all of that now, but I do wanted to give uh, kind of just some of the backstory and some of my broader thoughts at this point in time, because again, it was pretty well known on Friday that it was going to get done unless something went very wrong. But uh, there you go at this point in time. In the Woj story on ESPN, he he reported that Snyder and Trey Young have both expressed enthusiasm, quote, about working together. And that partnership will go a long way determining the, the, determining the success of the franchise, end quote. Also, uh, he reported that Donovan Mitchell, quote, profusely praised Snyder in a private conversation with Trey Young after the game on Friday against the Cavs. And he told him, uh, this is Mitchell telling Trey, how instrumental that Quinn Snyder has been in his own development into an all-star. So that's obviously a great sign. Mitchell being a guy that was coached at the position that Trey Young plays um, back in Utah. He was the guy, uh, Snyder had um, sort of his imprints on that development of that team in Utah. And that's a good sign that Trey is hearing that from a fellow star in Donovan Mitchell. That's a positive thing. Again, uh, uh, Quinn is very well regarded in league circles. Um, I will also say from the release, I was at least noting this, there was no additional title given to Quinn Snyder. I think that was definitely uh, maybe on the table but at, at some point, maybe a possibility, but I speculated on the recent show on Friday. And by the way, I would not have loved this. So I'm actually, I think it's probably a good sign. This is not going to be the case, but he is not listed as a different um, front office title, you know, head coach. He could have, he could have, and I think honestly probably will have some significant front office influence in a way that McMillan did not have. You don't hire a guy at a big number, like $8 million reported by, by, from um, Sean Sharania to come in and only be the coach and not have any influence at all. But I think that it was important, at least in my mind, to not give him overwhelming power in the front office, because usually those are, those roles are just different roles. Front office and coaching to work together for sure, but they're not the same. And I think Mike Budenholzer was a great coach, was not a great executive. Same with Sam and Gundy and Doc Rivers and Tom Thibodeau and others. It's not been a great formula for success to have the coach also be the number one decision maker. So not having him be able to do that is probably a good sign as well. Um, as far as what Quinn Snyder is, if you are a newer Hawks fan or don't have uh, you know the, the day-to-day on this, he is a former assistant under, under Budenholzer, uh, also has been out of the league for a few months now because he uh, parted ways mutually with the Jazz at the end of last season. And uh, But I will say he, he was awesome in Utah. An eight-year re- record in Utah as a high-level coach. His playoff record was a little bit less impressive, but if you go through the uh, series for series, only one year where the, where the Jazz actually favored even in the first round of the playoffs. So it wasn't like he was going in as a favorite every year and sort of falling short. I think if you watch that personnel, he did a very good job even, even in the playoffs most of the time. And for me, he is a top 10 coach in the league. Obviously, there were some arbitrary points there, um, but I think you know, at, at, at a bare minimum, he is an upgrade on David Millen. Um, he's obviously a guy who has proven and, is, and to be a successful head coach. Is he on the level of the top two or three guys in the league? Maybe, maybe not. You kind of, it's sort of an eye of the beholder thing, but I do believe there is a record of him being an above average head coach at the very least, and for me, a difference maker. Um, the way that I say this all the time is that there are a group of coaches who I think um, in the middle are kind of all the same. 
they'll have different strengths and weaknesses. I think I think that centers at the top level where they actually do matter, and uh, that's a very very positive thing for the Hawks moving forward. Um, tactically on offense, he runs a lot of good stuff. I think that he changed his philosophy in a smart way in Utah. He started out with being a more egalitarian, kind of free flowing, a la Budenholzer offense in. Salt Lake City, and then kind of as he as as Mitchell in particular got more ingratiated and became a star, they ran a lot more pick and roll, a lot more high pick and roll, and that was very effective. They were very good on offense with Mitchell and Gobert, and a pretty I won't say it's exactly the same as what the Hawks have now. In fact, I think Trey is better than Mitchell was then, and obviously they don't quite have Gobert on this roster, but they honestly have more talent on this team than they did in Utah, and he had a lot of success with, with that team as well. Um, I think he ran a lot more pick and roll with Mitchell when he was breaking out. And I think that we'll see a lot more pick and roll generally speaking. And the Hawks have been running more pick and roll even with Joe Prunty. That's good to see for me. But Trey Young is a pick and roll maestro, arguably the best or maybe you know top two or three in the league at running pick and roll. So doing that is pretty impressive and I think will be very, very effective. As for his personality, he's known for being pretty intense. And I think he'll probably admit to that. Um, Quinn's been around for a long time, but he definitely is going to be demanding of players. It'll be a different approach than Nate. You know, Nate's an old school guy for sure, but definitely more of a laid back, you know, kind of just lead by example guy, um, more soft spoken in, in some instances. Quinn Snyder is much more intense than David Millen is. And I'm, I'm not sure what, 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 what this is going to look like at this point, but certainly having a good, a good reputation with your players is a positive thing. I think he's not going to settle for anything. There'll be a lot of um, talk about player development along the way, I'm sure, as well as accountability and versatility and all the buzzwords that are out there, but it should be a good fit. People asking me about like kind of what the staff's going to look like. Um, this is going to be very interesting, quite honestly, because I can't imagine a full assistant overhaul at this moment in the middle of a season because it's just practically kind of impossible to have a full staff just waiting to join him. But in the summer, it could change more. And there is an intro press conference on, on, on Monday at two o'clock, practice on Monday morning and maybe a game on Tuesday. And I'll just say this is the last thing. This is very, very unusual timing all the way around. I think it's pretty obvious, but let's just say, as an example, he coaches on Tuesday. There is basically no world in which the Hawks could actually be running Snyder stuff, or at least mostly Snyder stuff, by then. He'll be leaning on what's already been done by the staff. Uh, you know, this is the same staff that was under McMillan, of course. Joe Prentice has been running the team the last, the last few days. But quite literally, in the last 20-plus years, this is unprecedented. McMillan, number one, had the best record of any coach fired during the season since 2018. So usually when guys get fired, they have bad records. The Hawks did not have a bad record um, when, when McMillan was fired. Also, it's only the 10th time in the last 20 years that a team went outside the organization to hire their coach during the season. Only three times in the last 10 years. And here's the big one. No team has ever hired, at least in the last, as far, as, as far back as I can go, like 20 plus years, a coach this late in the season, period, outside the organization. And then no one's also even close to being as good of a record as the Hawks when they're making a hire at any length um, sort of into the season at this point in time. It's always been either teams making moves early in the season, like very early, like first 10, 20 games, or teams totally out of the picture, like what the Wolves did with Chris Finch a few years ago in Minnesota and getting a head start on the summer when you're already kind of out of it. Like I, I, There's lots of different names. The closest you can come to a, uh, as far as the tenure is concerned is George Carl coached the final 30 games of the Kings in 2015, but that team was way out of it. They were 29 wins at the end of the season. There was, that was a bad basketball team. Um, there were good teams that, that made these hires, but for instance, Mike D'Antoni with the Lakers in 2013, he replaced Mike Brown 10 games into the season. So that was basically a full season move. Um, Paul Silas came in late. Lionel Hollins came in late. George Carl did it twice, actually, once with the Nuggets. Probably the closest thing was what actually George Carl with the Nuggets. He came in midseason for a team that was um, actually below 500 uh, and then got hot after that. But anyway, 
just take, take my word for it. I went through all the lists. I won't, I won't bore you with all of it. But the Hawks basically do something here that, they, that no one's done in the last two decades of bringing in a coach this late in the year for a team that is obviously trying to win now. Every bit of messaging from the Hawks on the record, off the record, all of that has been that the Hawks want to win now. And, you know, with Cider, obviously you're, you're getting an, a proven coach. So it'd be a little bit weirder if they were going outside the organization right now for a guy that was not proven. Cider being available was a coup for them because he is, again, a proven head coach. But um, it's going to be weird at the very least, for at least the next couple of weeks. And obviously fans don't really care about that stuff. Most people, and I think this is very normal, by the way, just watch the games and they don't really go through the behind the scenes and all that. I get it. Um, practically speaking, though, just think about it. He's going to be running his first practice at the very earliest on Monday and be coaching a game in the NBA on Tuesday with, a, with, with an assistant staff that he's never worked with. It's just very, very strange. Anyway, I still would have done this. Full circle, I would have done this. It's all totally fine with me. There's a world in which, of course, and probably we'll never know, honestly, how much choosing to move on from Nate at that point in time might have had to do with Quinn being available and maybe having this be able to get done. This did happen pretty fast. And I think, honestly, that would, that would have been very reasonable if the Hawks were to say, look, we can get Quinn Snyder right now if we move on from Nate. That's not a bad idea to do that. Go ahead and do that at this point in time. And overall, this is a fantastic result for the Hawks. It might be weird for a little while, but the Hawks moved on from a coach that I think, even even though I am probably not as low on Nate as some Hawks fans who were ready to you know fire him into the sun at this point in time, Objectively, he was a below-average NBA head coach in 2023. With Quinn Snyder, he's above average. I think he's definitely in my top eight or ten of NBA coaches, and especially on offense, a huge upgrade there. Um, you emerge from that with stability. He's he's going to be signed for you know four plus years. He is a guy who has you know, again a reputation that's very very strong around the league, and you bring in some stability here to an organization. That really needs it. It's been a very weird season for the Hawks in the front office. All the Palace intrigue stuff, the the Nick Russell reporting that got out there, Travis Schlenk leaving, um, the locker room stuff with Nate. It's just been you know Tony Wrestler not spending a, a little bit of blowback from fans for the first time in his tenure. It's been a little bit of an adventure for this Hawks team. I got honestly more than a little bit of an adventure for this Hawks team. But to have all that happen and then be able to get Quinn Snyder, a proven head coach with ties to the, to the organization, and be able to do that now. And yeah, it's going to cost a lot of money, but guess what? That's not a salary cap thing, and Hawks fans should not care about Tony Russell's wallet beyond the salary cap. So I'm sure it's got a big investment in Quinn at this point in time, but and we'll see how much influence he has in the front office. But big picture, the Hawks land a very good coach. And yes, this year might be a little bit strange, but moving forward, there's comfort and their stability and having Quinn Snyder be your head coach. And uh, this whole thing worked out very well in my mind for the Atlanta Hawks. All right, we'll get into the game itself. And again, a lot, of, a lot to get to. I'm sure, by the way, we'll have more on Quinn Snyder, I'm sure, after Monday's press conference. I'll talk to some guests, I'm sure, in the coming days about Quinn and how he's, he's going to be able to run the team. And also after his first few games, we'll probably have some more analysis. But um, generally speaking, we'll have you locked in all the way through the Quinn Snyder era. But before we get to the rest of today's podcast with regard to the Hawks and the Nets and a walk-off victory on this Sunday, a word from our sponsors on today's podcast. Today's show is brought to you by Price Picks. If you're in the market for DFS this year, make sure you check out the award-winning app at Price Picks. Price Picks is daily fantasy made easy. I love it. I know that you will as well. It's so very easy to use. I've been playing there for a couple of years now. It's really a breeze to operate over at Price Picks. Pick two six players. That's all you have to do. And then choose actually have more or less than a certain number of points or rebounds or assists or steals or other stats that you can look at on the box score and at Price Picks. What up to 25 times your entry on any single entry that you are putting together. They offer numbers on any sport you can think of. That includes the NBA and college basketball, plus football stuff. They have MLB and NHL, PGA, soccer, esports, and much more. And a whole entry 
can be done in a minute or less. It's that easy and it's that quick. Plus, it's just you against the numbers, and it's really just that straight ahead. They have safe and fast withdrawals of price picks, and they have operations in more than 30 states, including Georgia and Canada at this point. Download the app right now or go to prospects.com, sign up by Day Fantasy Sports. And if you're a first time user, have a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with promo code locked on. Don't forget that promo code locked on for your first deposit to get the instant deposit match up to $100. Check it out now at PrizePix. All right, and we'll get into a game now that honestly would have commanded a 30-plus minute episode on its own if not for the Quinn Snyder announcement. And, you know, big picture, uh, Snyder is much more impactful than one game in February, but this is a fun game. It was back and forth. It featured a walk-off game winner from the team's best player in Trey Young and a nice win for the Hawks. They're now 31-30 and on the season. Um, they nudge above 500 again after a couple of frustrating losses pre-break. Um, it was certainly not perfect by any means. They're up by as many as 18 points in this game, only to blow that lead and trail multiple times in the second half. And then, they, again, they were up by eight with about 80 seconds to go. Blew that lead as well on a buzzer, not a buzzer beater, but a, a late game tying three. But then Trey had enough time to walk it off. We'll get into all of what transpired in the game now. And as far as context is concerned, Brooklyn is different than they have been all year long. Um, they're 34 and 26 after this, after this loss, but this is not Kyrie. This is not Kevin Durant, but it is a team that I think has been probably un, unfairly written off at this point. The Nets still have, in my mind, like 12 or 13 quality rotation players, which is a weird situation to be in for a team that just traded a bunch of stars, but they're still talented. They're not on the same page just yet, but the Nets are like, if the Hawks had lost this game, it would have been bad in that they have led by 18 points, but if they just lost this game. Generally speaking, it would have been not great, but like the Nets are still decent in a lot of ways. Um, the fr- our friends at FanDuel did have the Hawks um, actually listed as six and a half point favorites in this one, which is actually kind of high in my mind. The Hawks didn't cover that game. Uh, didn't cover the spread, obviously in this one, um, John Collins returned, after a brief hiatus for in the concussion, in the concussion protocol, also with back stiffness coming in the night, he was he was on a minutes restriction, which which Prenti revealed after the game ended up playing and playing reasonably well, at least after the first few minutes where he was actually pretty much struggling. But it was full strength for the Hawks in this game and largely full strength for the, for the Nets. No Ben Simmons in this one. But we'll start here with some positives about the offense. We'll come back to some more of the uh, sort of nuts and bolts from this game. But the Hawks won this game on offense. They had a 123 offensive rating against a team that has pretty good personnel that could switch and makes it makes up difficult on defense. But it was kind of a weird profile from the Hawks. In fact, they were 16 of 30 from three-point range. That isn't a huge number of attempts, but they made 53% from three-point range. And if not for that, they would have lost because they shot better from three than two in this game. They were, they were sub 50%. From two, that's not great. They were they were actually good at the line though. Twenty eight attempts, made a bunch of them um, good on the glass, but sixteen turnovers for Atlanta in this one. That's well above their average, and, and importantly, they led directly to twenty eight points off turnovers for the Nets. Um, there were some transition defense issues, which we'll, we'll talk about in a second from Atlanta in this game. But honestly, also it was the kind of game that the Hawks envisioned from Trey and Dejounte coming into the year. They combined for sixty two points and twelve assists. They had huge usage in this game. Big shots from both guys down the stretch, including the game winner by Trey. And DeJounte took a lot of the heat off Trey, I thought, during this game at important times when the Nets were kind of bottling him up, uh, kind of throwing a lot, of, a lot of things at Trey. And they couldn't necessarily do all of that because DeJounte was on the floor with Trey. And that's kind of the theory of the case when you're playing Trey and DeJounte together. Defensively, honestly, it was not great in this game for most of the night. They gave about a 122 defensive rating in this game, and the Nets didn't even shoot that well from three-point range. They got hot late, I will say. And if you follow if you follow me live during this game, I was saying, look, three-point variance is going to even out a little bit here. Brooklyn just missed every shot in the first half, and the Hawks made every shot in the first half, and that led the Hawks to their big advantage in this game. Brooklyn got hot after halftime, ended up shooting 
36% from three, which actually isn't a huge number, but after the first half, that was a big swing. But the Hawks still outshot the Nets from, from the perimeter by a lot, but they did allow 29 free throw attempts. That's a lot. They only created 10 turnovers. That's a, that's not very many. And they allowed 26 fast break points. That would have been a league-leading number for any team. Brooklyn plays an interesting style, but the Hawks have to be better from, de- from the defensive side of the floor. They were not very good, honestly, in this game defensively. And uh, it, it didn't bite them here, but it certainly could have at this point in time. We'll come back to more of that in a second with regard to like, how it all transpired and what all the big picture stuff was. But definitely an offensive win for the Hawks, even if they did not play perfectly in the second half of the game. Uh, we'll dive in now to how, how the game actually transpired, though. They had some issues stopping the ball in transition, really the entire game, and that started out early on. They were a little bit spotty on offense early on in this game, actually. Kind of funny looking back at it. But the Nets have these like long and good defenders on the perimeter that seem to bother the Hawks a little bit at the outset. Also, as I said before, Collins looks like a player that has not been playing basketball for the last 10 or 11 days. Um, for Just for some background, if you're in the concussion protocol, you can't really do anything. And also it was during the All-Star break, and he missed practice after that. So uh, Collins had some rust, let's say, at the, at the very beginning. He was not good in the first few minutes of this game. Uh, Prunty left Hunter in the game with two fouls early, but that was a... Th- Really, a storyline all night long was that Hunter was in foul trouble the entire game, and the Hawks were pretty flexible with their rotations in this one. Um, as far as the actual rotation is concerned, it was fairly normal, I will say, but with a couple of changes. Like there was one thing that I was keeping an eye on because it's the first game in the post Nate era where they actually had Collins available, and that's that Jalen Johnson did appear in the first half of this game. He didn't play the last time the Hawks were at full strength, and I hated that. This, this was good to see. I will say. Uh, there was a lot of talk about how the Hawks made these big changes with the rotation, but it was mostly in the second half because of you know, matchup stuff. Jalen kind of basically did what I thought they were going to do. And it was basically the fact that Jalen is the 10th man on this roster very clearly. And I think for me, it was important to stress that he should be playing in every game, but if he's not playing great in the first half, you can bury Jalen Johnson if you need to. And that's what happened in this game. He didn't play in the second half. I had no problem with that at all, but just make sure that he's available in the rotation. He's too talented to not play at all. And he's also impactful. If he's playing well, go to him more often. That's probably what the Hawks will do in the future. But the Hawks did really shoot the ball very, very well at the outset. They had a 154 offensive rating in the first quarter. Trey had 12 points, and they were in good shape. Um, Brooklyn did kind of start chipping away because the Hawks were up by 18 points by the middle of the of the first. Uh, sorry, the middle of the second quarter. And here's where I'll flag this: the Hawks in the middle of, this, of the second quarter were eight of 12 from three. Obviously unsustainable, but pretty big. The Nets were one of 12 from three. So not a huge surprise that the Hawks were, you know, plus 21 for three-point range. They were up by 18 points. Bogey was really good in the second quarter. We'll come back to him later on. He had three threes in a pretty short window of time. But then after a big lob dunk from Collins to Trey, that honestly should have been a foul on some level. It was kind of a weird non-call. Hunter didn't play much at all. He was in foul trouble. And I think that maybe hurt the the defense a little bit. Obviously, he's one of their better defenders on the perimeter. But Brooklyn started tipping away. A 13-2 run late in the first half. The Hawks had three or four breakdowns, like full-on breakdowns on defense that led to open threes. And then the Hawks also went cold on offense. They scored two points in 11 possessions at one point. That is not good, obviously. Shot quality-wise, it wasn't quite as good. Also, just missed shots they were making earlier on the game, and they were probably due for that. There was a beautiful high-arcing finish from Trey Young at the buzzer of the first half and a bit of synergy for what was to come later on to go back up by seven points. But the offense was not good in the second quarter. And then defensively, the Hawks allowed like a pretty good clip from the Nets in the first half while shooting four of 19 from three-point range. So a little bit of a, uh, I would say, foreshadowing for what was to come. And the Hawks were only up by seven despite that huge three-point shooting ratio. We'll get into the second half in a second, I'll say. But for the most part, it was one of those things when the Hawks, and I'm sure listeners that listen, that listen to the podcast regularly will know this, but basically the first half 
was a lot of it, not all of it, but a lot of it was the Hawks just shooting the lights out and the Nets missing a lot of shots. After the half, the Hawks shot the ball okay, but the Nets actually made a bunch of shots, and that's why the uh, the margin closed quite a bit. Anyway, we'll get into all that in a second, as well as some individual player breakdowns at the end of the show. But first, a word from our sponsors on the show today. Today's show is brought to you by Built Bar. If you're looking for a delicious treat this time of year, but you don't want all the fat and calories that go along with it, you really need to try a Built Bar right now. I know a goal of mine this year is to eat a little bit healthier. And if you're anything like me, having the taste is really important to still being able to eat healthy. If that sounds like you at all, Built Bar is a perfect option. Built Bars are healthy and tasty, and they're so delicious that you won't believe they actually are healthy and good for you as well. Built Bars have 100% real chocolate. Yes, real chocolate, and it has a ton of awesome flavors. Peanut butter brownie is one of them. Coconut almond is one of them. And my personal favorite is cookies and cream. That is the cream of the crop, in my opinion. But Built Bars taste like candy bars. They have 130 calories only with 4 grams of sugar to go along with 17 grams of protein. And you have to wait around to get them. You can get them right now today for a long time. I've been telling you to get your Built Bars at Built.com. That is still an awesome option. There's a great selection over there at Built.com. And they will do everything you possibly could want them to do over at Built.com. But... If you want to get in the market quicker and right now today, you can go to Walmart Walmart or Sam's and get your box of Built Bars at Walmart. Or if you go to Sam's right now, get a 13-bar box in an instant over at Sam's Club. Make sure to check out Built Bar no matter where you get your Built Bars and dive in today. All right, so after halftime, it was all nets for a while. They got the lead down to one at one point in the first few minutes of the third quarter. The Hawks missed their first six shots from the field. Obviously not, not great there. And then overall, the Nets pushed their lead up to five points. So it was a 39-16 to 16 overall run by the Nets from the end of the first half to the start of the second half. So plus 23 from Brooklyn in like, a, I don't know, like a 10-minute stretch. It was a lot of Nets in a short period of time. The Hawks did, though, wake up from there. A 7-0 run pretty quickly. Foul trouble all, all the way from Hunter. Again, four fouls in the third quarter. Trey got a T for arguing that call. They, they did finish strong in the third quarter. I thought Trey was in, was sort of uh, good, good at managing the clock and managing the game throughout this one for Atlanta. And they played the starters – by about the eight-minute mark of the fourth quarter because it was back and forth with the bench. It was kind of just hanging around, hanging around. I thought Bay was shaky on defense, but did make a big three with about seven minutes to go. Um, he got a lot of minutes with Hunter in Hunter's place because of the foul trouble. I thought they played him a little bit too long in the fourth quarter, but honestly, part of that was that Collins was not necessarily available. Uh, and we didn't know that at that point in time because Collins was uh, limited in minutes and uh, they didn't set up before the game. Um, Bogey hit a, hit a jumper mid-quarter to go up by eight points and the Nets didn't score for like three and a half minutes or so. But then the Nets got it, got it going in there. It was really a lot of back and forth. Trey was in control. DeJounte had a big three after a near to- turnover to go up by four points. Um, and then the Hawks, again, pushed it up to lead by eight with 117 to go after, um, honestly, kind of a fortunate no call. I thought the officiating was very bad in this game on both sides of the floor, honestly. But there was a non-call the Hawks benefited from when I thought Bay foul bridges. There was one before that where the Hawks didn't get a call. Uh, just some weirdness throughout this one, officiating-wise. Anyway... After a timeout, up eight, 117 to go, it wasn't quite over yet. The Nets scored immediately. Jante turned it over, and then the Nets hit a three. It was a five-point swing in like 30 seconds to flip this game around. Trey had a chance to put the game away again with a three and missed it. And the Nets uh, ended up calling timeout, et cetera. And if you saw this play by now, I'm sure you have seen it if you're listening to this podcast. But they lost Cam Johnson for a game-tying three with about seven seconds to go. Um, there were multiple breakdowns here. I saw everyone pointing to Bogey, and rightly so, for helping off of a corner up by three. Um, Glenn Willis, my friend on on for Beastry Hoops, has been on this show many times, and I'm sure we'll be back again in the near future. Um, he just wanted to at least raise the flag that it could have not only been Bogey, and I agree with him. Um, if you watch the play again, Sadiq Bey is a step or two probably 
to rotate over. Um, a slip slow, I should say, to rotate over. So it, it might have been Bogey's fault for just helping in a spot where you probably shouldn't be helping. And if you just watch the play, it seems like a total breakdown by Bogey. And then I think it was probably both. It was probably that and Sadiq Bay was a step or two late. But And also, the Hawks having to play Sadiq Bay and Bogey in a defense on the possession is not great. I think Bay is pretty bad defensively at times. Bogey is pretty bad defensively at times. And those two guys have to be out there. But if you look at it, John Collins was not available at that point. He'd already exceeded his, exceeded his minutes restriction, which I was about to raise, raise the flag on on this podcast. But then Prince, Prince said after the game that he was not available. And then the other option would have been Trey because you were going to put in an ice cold Jalen Johnson there who hadn't played in you know an hour and a half. And that's kind of it. AJ Griffin could have been the other option, but he's obviously a young guy who's not going to be any better probably than Bay and Bogey. So, um, you know, not great there overall. It didn't bite them, but uh, notable that there was a breakdown on that play. And what you can't do there is give up a three for the tie. And that's what happened in that spot. Of course, though, from there, Trey ends up walking it off after a timeout. Not a super easy shot, not a super tough one for him anyway, but he was very much in command of that play. He talked about it after the game. He knew how much time he had at that point in time. I was surprised the Nets only went one-on-one with him. Granted, it was Mikael Bridges. He's a, great, he's a great defender, but I thought they would have probably run a guy at him at the very end of that play, but Trey was just under control calmly, and uh, he's a star. And that was, that was a star shot from him to walk it off and win the game at the very end. From there. Um, we'll get into the players now just to talk about how, how these guys all fared. If you're newest to the podcast, what I do on the show is go through every player that at least contributed in the game and talk about them for a few minutes. Um, the guy who played the least was Jalen Johnson. Who I said before, I thought Jalen was just okay. He didn't score in the game, only took one shot, two rebounds and an assist, had a block shot. that was actually a huge block, a sort of a chase down block. And he played fine and had no issue with him not playing after that. Just something to note for the future. Also notable, AJ Griffin played 13 minutes. And two points, two rebounds. It wasn't like he was great, but I missed all three of his shots from the floor. But it was very clear to me that, at least in the Joe Prunty era tonight, they were certainly leaning on Sadiq Bey as being well ahead of AJ in the rotation because Griffin was uh, sorry, Sadiq Bey was playing a lot of the three in this game in a way that Bay, uh, that Griffin could have been playing. It wasn't like they were playing Sadiq at the four a lot, but they chose Bay over Griffin uh, repeatedly in this game, and that was totally fine with me for the most part. Um, Bay, speaking of Bay, he had two threes. He was 0-3 from two. Uh, did play 32 minutes because of Hunter's foul trouble. Um, was plus 13 in the game. Uh, defensively, I thought he was pretty rough, honestly. But offensively, he has to be guarded. That's very important in a lot of ways. And he was at least on, their, on the floor for a lot of their good units in this one. Akangwu uh, was their best center in this game. And uh, Prunty joked after the game that they played him like approximately 48 minutes in a row down the stretch. He played like the last quarter plus um, in the second half. And he was definitely gassed. If you watch the end of the game, he looks visibly tired. And he played a long time without a break. And that's not great. He had five fouls by the end, but had 10 points, seven rebounds, and an assist and, a, an assist and a steal. He wasn't like blow you away impressive like he was uh, on Friday, but he was very good in this game for sure. And I think it was the right choice. You know, I'm very pro Capella in a lot of ways, but against the Nets who play small and even their one big who plays and Nick Claxton is a very you know mobile athletic big man. And it was just a better matchup for a Kongwu in this game. And that, I think that was a good coaching point to go ahead and stick with him at the end of the contest. And then bogey, was brilliant, honestly. And it's a good reminder, and I said this during the game as well, it's a good reminder that with Bogey, like the Hawks basically have been at their best for the last like three seasons whenever Bogey is Bogey, like actually healthy and cooking. Um, It was obviously a little bit of an outlier tonight because he was plus 28 in the game. That's not going to sustain. But when he's healthy and has his legs, the Hawks have always been a very different team in a good way. Um, two years ago, I talked about it a lot at the time, but he had the best stretch of his career and basically turned into this like incredible sniper when they had their big run to the conference finals. 
last year when he was healthy and able to not like not be dragging his leg behind him, the Hawks were better. And I think he's obviously their third ball handler. I asked Prunty about that after the game. He talked about how cerebral bogey is. But when he has his legs and, and his energy, he is a huge factor in a positive direction for the Hawks. When he's not that same guy, he can really hurt them on defense and all that stuff. But when he's himself, he unlocks something for the Hawks that's always been the case. It's always been underrated to me, um, at least nationally and even locally sometimes. Like I've been trying to bring that drum. Like If you watch, again, the, the best moments, the best weeks, the best months of the Hawks stretch the last few years, it's always been when Bogey has his legs and is playing well. That was the case in this one. He was very, very good in this game. Um, to the starters, Capella was pretty quiet, 19 minutes. Did have 12 rebounds, 6 points, and 1 block shot. Didn't have his, great, his best finishing game. Missed a few bunnies around the rim. Missed 4 free throws as well. And again, they went to a Congo that was totally fine. I, th- I think Capella was probably unfairly maligned in this game, but he wasn't his best by any means in this one. Hunter had a lot of foul trouble. 22 minutes. Um, came in cold defensively. Didn't play very well. Um, just was kind of out of it all night long. Not a bad, not in a terrible way. Just didn't really have rhythm in this one. Collins played 26 minutes. Prunty declined to say what his restriction was, but he said he went over it. So I'm guessing it was probably that 22-24 range. He hit two threes. That's very good to see from Collins. He's had a bad shooting season by every every description from three-point range. 12 points per rebounds. He had a really, really rough start. Later looked very creaky at the outset. But once once he settled in, he played very well, had a huge dunk, and looked to be physically in perfectly fine shape. And then Trey DeJounte, um, again, both very, very good. DeJounte, 28 points, four assists. Three rebounds. Um, he's pretty efficient. Um, 28 points on 21 shots. Totally solid. Uh, Trey, 34 points, eight assists, two steals. Um, he was pretty active defensively, I thought, especially in the first half of this game, getting up, getting up into Cam Johnson. Sorry, Cam uh, Cam Thomas, I should say. Um, and crucially, they didn't play Trey and DeJounte too much. They were both sub 35 minutes. That's very, very positive for me. Um, he didn't have his three-point shot in this game, one of five, but got to the line nine times. His floater game was there. He was in control. It was a very good Trey game on the whole. So, a lot of stuff from this podcast, obviously. The headliner being Quinn Snyder. We'll see what the timeline is. Uh, by the way, the folks at Valley Sports Southeast are going to carry the press conference live. So if you are a Hawks fan that has that ability to watch that channel, you can watch it at 2 o'clock on Monday. I'll probably have some highlights from that on a show on Monday evening into Tuesday. Please stay tuned for all of that stuff. I will not be there, candidly, because I have dental work that I cannot get out of, unfortunately. I really hate the dentist just to be uh, – 100% transparent, but it's scheduled for 1.30. And of course, the Hawks scheduled the press conference for 2 o'clock. So my apologies on that, but I will catch up on that later on. If you want live updates, follow my friend Kevin Chenard, who I'm sure will be there, and others from the Atlanta media. Um, from here, though, after that, as far as the games are concerned, the, the headline will be Quinn Snyder's integration to the roster. But the Hawks are now only within one game of the Heat and three and a half games behind the Knicks and the Nets. They play Tuesday at home against the Wizards in what might be Quinn's debut, and they play again on Friday um, at home again. So no road games until next weekend. So it's a long stretch at home when you factor in the all-star break ends up being more than three full weeks between road games. That's a very positive sign. And the wizards lost to the bulls today. I think the Hawks, if they're at full strength or at least something close to it, will be favored against the wizards and they should be at home. It's not an easy game. It's not a bad game at all, either against a team that you're better than, and you're playing them at home on normal rest. And we'll see if it's Snyder standing up on Tuesday or Joe Prunty or some combination of the two of them, because I'm sure while Quinn Snyder would have just acknowledged that, you know, he's not going to be 100 percent up to speed by Tuesday night. Anyway, we'll keep an eye on all that stuff. And uh, at the very least, we'll have podcasts after the games this week, as well as some insights from other people that hopefully that I've asked to come on the podcast in the coming days as well. Please. And I ask this every time, but especially today, if you're a new listener to the podcast, please subscribe to this show across platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. 
Overcast. Click on, click on that auto download button if you are trying to support the show at the highest levels. Also over on YouTube, likes and subscriptions are fantastic over there as well. Ratings and reviews, five stars, nice comments, all that fun stuff. Follow the show on Twitter at Locked on Hawks. Follow me on Twitter at BT Roland. Also follow my Patreon and my written work, patreon.com slash BT Roland for all of your Hawk stuff behind the scenes. And yeah, I really appreciate everybody listening to the podcast on a busy, frantic Sunday. Hopefully we will have uh, you know everything else that's new on the, on the Snyder front uh, ironed out between now and Tuesday. But stay tuned for that. And uh, I really appreciate all the support as always. A fun day at the office for the Hawks. I'm sure Hawks fans should be thrilled at this point in time. And take it from me. I'm not always the guy who's telling you to be like overjoyed. This is a night to this is a, a day and a night to celebrate if you are the Hawks. You got a good coach and a good win all in the same day, and you begin a new week on a positive note. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening to the podcast. As always, subscribe to the show, and we'll see you all next time.